All right, we are back on another episode of the Anonymous Eagle Podcast. My name is Patrick Leary, joined as always by Ben Snyder. Um, hello, Ben. Patrick, I got a question for you. What's up, Ben? Why do we watch sports? That's a good question. I don't think I don't think you're allowed to do a soul searching. Why do we watch sports when your team is in the Super Bowl next week? Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, for the particular Marquette slice of uh, your fandom, I think that that's a reasonable um, soul searching question today. Um, so obviously, uh, we're going to start in the obvious place, um, and the place that has uh, generated the most noise over the last uh, 36 or so hours. People uh, are talking about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that's an interesting point. We'll get to that. But um, generally, um, Marquette blew a game at Butler. Um, Ken Palm said that with two and a half minutes left, Marquette had an 87% win probability. Um and the game collapsed under the weight of an inability to stop Kamar Baldwin, um, Marcus Howard losing his shooting touch completely, and a seer- and the surrounding lack of coaching intervention, with the exception of one extremely memorable moment uh, uh, that is related to that. Um on a quick, uh, a quick uh, offshoot of your Ken Palm, uh, 81% chance to win stats. Uh, so T-Rank has a little metric called game score, which essentially takes one game and says, if you were to play like this the entire season, what level would you be playing at? So it's on a scale of 1 to 100, with 100 being the best. And so Marquette was a 93 on Friday, and that would translate to playing at a top 10 level. So they played like a top 10 team on Friday and blew it. Yeah, I mean, I thought they played well, but, you know, obviously the atmosphere, the um, fact that their leading scorer hit his head on a chair, um, and related to the atmosphere, the lack of clear, uh, composed, uh, planning down the stretch, um, is what got him. Um, we'll start with the thing that everyone's talking about, uh, the foul decision. Um, fortunately it's pretty cut and dry at this point. I think there's a world where it's not, um, so thankful for journalism still existing. Um, so Steve Wojciechowski tells Brendan Bailey to foul in a tie game um, with the shot clock off and Butler in the bonus. Um, at the time, everyone, even people that don't usually chime in, were freaking out um, on Twitter about what happened? I've never seen this before. What's going on? This is crazy. Um, there was a small sliver 
of people saying you're pulling a well actually when you have Marcus Howard you don't have a chance to win the game in regulation so you might as well foul and then try to win it on the other end yeah. which okay I guess yeah I, yeah, I, I could uh, briefly explain that side because I was like halfway between there because Butler was not only in the bonus but it was their first chance in the bonus. So in theory against, I think actually San Francisco did a similar strategy last night where they were up by two against BYU when they were in the bonus and they intentionally fouled Yoli child, who was a very bad free throw shooter and essentially dared him to not only make two free throws, but make the first one in order to get them to a good place. And so, in theory, if you trust your offense way more than you do your defense, there is a world where fouling when tied could work. All capitals, but Brendan Daly fouled Kamar Baldwin, who is an 85% free throw shooter and who had made almost all of his free throws up to that point. And, and like, so I think here's where we can branch off from that. And he was like the hottest player on the court. Yep. Um, so, yeah. I think where um, that explanation didn't hold water for me was in our previous experience with Steve Wojciechowski's uh, late game sophistication mm-hmm. um, and the expectation for him to have that analytics drilled into his head as a, well, hey, this is actually the best case scenario. Yeah, I was, I kind of resigned myself to the fact that he had done that by accident and his post-game explanation uh, confirmed that for me. That's correct. He did say that he did not know what the score was. He thought that Marquette was winning by two points. The old J.R. Smith. Yeah, from a basketball. No, he thought he thought the market was losing by two points. Oh. Ben, well, ben Steele had originally uh, oh, tweeted yeah. out that he thought that we were winning. That. That doesn't and make then clarify. Got it. No, that doesn't make sense. Okay. Well, that's at least more reasonable. I don't know why I would think that it was – okay, good point. But Marquette had not been losing since, like, the first half. Right. So it, it was still – it was a J.R. Smith. He J.R. Smithed it. Right. So, obviously, I think the initial reaction and the obvious thing that just needs to be said, maybe not discussed, um, is that Marquette's coach didn't know what the score was on the final possession of the game. Yeah. Um, and not only that, um, the players didn't really see the need to speak out because... Wojo had to have said in the timeout, we need to foul. And for whatever reason, the players did not feel themselves to be in some sort of position to question why that was the case. I don't don't think that that's – I don't think that's their responsibility. I mean, I know it'd be great, obviously, if they intervened, but I think especially just given – the culture of the team. I think that that's not, I think Wojo, you know, 
You saw what Brendan did. Brendan, Brendan fouled and then said, you told me to foul. So it's very clear that the, the, the culture of the program is Wojo makes the decisions. And so I don't, I don't expect the players to, to intervene there unless he says something specifically like about the score and he very obviously is wrong. But then you'd expect maybe an assistant to intervene or something. Yeah, yeah, the fact that, yeah, I guess maybe not less so the players, more like the coaches. And, like, Wojo probably had to have said at some point during practice, like, hey, I want to try this out in a potential tie game situation, something like that. Like, I can't imagine that there was some sort of precedent for him possibly fouling in a tie game like that, given the fact that he explained it away as him forgetting the score. So I'm somewhat curious as to why the other 15 people on the bench just kind of assumed that he knew what he was talking about when he said that. Yeah. So I think the point overarching is that the coach forgot, didn't know the score, the score, which is readily available on a, giant monitor um multiple monitors uh, depending on the stadium i imagine it's available uh, to him rather easily so yeah i mean that's just really lame (laughs) that's that's a good way of putting it just really lame like cool man like it's not you know i guess i guess i could in, in a vacuum i could understand a brain fart like it happens and like he's in a tough position where like everyone knows about it if it happens but it's more of the fact that this is not necessarily unprecedented for him especially in situations with a tough game on the road where they need to close it out like i'm kind of thinking of similar road meltdowns like last year to Villanova if you remember Marcus fouling out and Villanova going on a run late to set off the big losing streak um 2017 I believe Marquette was up to Butler on the road at half and Butler just trounced us to finish off the game uh Kansas last year went on a 22 nothing run against us when we were up by I think eight at half and so this is not something that hasn't happened before. Like this is relatively normal, which is somewhat worrisome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Providence game. Yeah. They, that's another example. They didn't get the foul off. It just seems, although I will say the Georgetown game, they did handle the late game pretty well. Yeah. But I just, I don't think there's a lot of trust um, from the fan base to the program on how to handle that, those sorts mm-hmm. of situations. Um, yeah. Going beyond the headline-grabbing decision, which is pretty self-explanatory, um, I think if you want to talk about you know, what flipped the game, um, Kamar Baldwin just completely lit on fire um, at the end. And uh, 
paint touches in an article published this morning um, attributed that to um, the lack of ability to adjust to the pick and roll um, where Baldwin scored 12 points on eight possessions in the second half and nine points on six possessions in the overtime. Um, it's a phenomenal rate and it's unfortunately not much adjustment showed. It's representative of not much adjustment taking place, um, on the defensive end for Marquette. Um, yeah, with- like in, in context only makes it worse because that's the way that Baldwin gets his points. Right. Like more than any other situation. And you couple that with the fact that their main distributor, like the guy who would get him shots in other situations, Aaron Thompson, was out for the game. And so, Mm -hmm. like, it is right there for them to see, like, this is the way that they are going to try and score. And they showed them that that's how they are going to try and score. And so there was... The fact that there was nothing done after he started to get going just kind of blows my mind. And yeah, like for as much as I get annoyed with the there are no defensive adjustments take because in fans mind, defensive adjustments is either switching to his own or doubling on the post. And there is no other way to coach a defense. Right. But this was clearly a chance where one play was killing them and they just let that play keep going on yeah, without any sort of difference. So yeah, that, that to me is probably reason number two, why this game was lost. Yeah. I mean, Kamar Baldwin, I, I mean, it's really, it's the contrast of Marcus was playing insanely well for most of the game. Completely lost it as Kamar Baldwin took over. Mm-hmm. Um, so that contrast is ultimately what moved the game to Butler's direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when Marcus um, crashed into the uh, chair under the basket mm-hmm. um, with as early in the second half, um, his performance post that was markedly worse. Um, Payne touches had it as he was six of 14 before and two of 13 after, um, which is obviously really glaring. Um, but I think another point to be made is, um, Sakar was playing really well, um, really efficiently. Um, as was Brendan Bailey, um, Kobe McEwen wasn't, but then just started throwing in circus shots. Yeah, uh, Kobe became like Purdue Kobe for a little bit. Yep. And including that awesome buzzer beater. Let's not forget about that. Or not yeah, buzzer shout beater. Yeah, Um, Game tying shot to send it to overtime. Yeah. Um, which Butler should have fouled. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, Marcus Howard continued to shoot through it. He... He was the president of the United States um, uh, tweeting through impeachment. (laughs) Nice. He just continued to shoot through it, and it did not work. Um, Plus, he was dribbling it off of his foot a bunch. Um, 
he had five turnovers uh, to Kobe McEwen's three. Um, Sakar Anum was having a good game, efficient shooting. Um, Dio and, John, too. Uh, yeah, not offensively. Mostly, yeah, that. mostly on defense. Sorry, I should have. Uh, uh, I, I think mean, he had, what, seven blocks? Yeah, seven blocks. Yeah, yeah he was amazing um, on the defensive end. Um, but the point is that there were other ways Marquette could have scored um, down the stretch, and they lost the game because the possessions um, that they put together were not effective. Um, now, you know, are they normally ineffective? No. I mean, Marcus probably makes two or three of those normally, and – Marquette wins the game, um, but they weren't going in, and they weren't going in over a large, a long period of time, to where either Marcus or the coaching staff can acknowledge that hey, this isn't working. We need another plan, um, and you don't see that. So, yeah, unfortunately, I guess it comes. I guess it comes down to, and I kind of want to ask your opinion on this uh how concerned are you about the concussion on a scale of one to i think we are doomed for a repeat of last year where he was hurt and just refused to acknowledge it well i think the first point is that um a concussion will take care of itself better than a wrist injury will okay yeah yeah that's true like Concussion symptoms do not, you know, concussion symptoms relatively heal over time if you take care of them rather quickly. Whereas, you know, if he had some sort of lingering wrist issue that needed some sort of treatment, it would it's much harder for him to get it. Yeah. Um, secondly, I'm not actually sure he has a concussion. Yeah. Um, I'm curious if he plays against Xavier. I think there's a there's a non-zero chance that he misses that game on mm-hmm. Wednesday, um, which would be a disaster. Yeah, um, my, yeah, my, I guess my take is that I don't know because it all, my opinion on whether or not Marcus should have shot as much as he did is rather dependent on how serious that injury was, which is something that really only he can know. So if he was hurt and it was something that was evident to the coaches that he was hurt, then they definitely should have stepped in. If he was not hurt, then I am less inclined to tell him to give up shots like that because there have been games in the past. I think of the, Villanova game, the Villanova win this year in which Marquette started the first half mostly cold and I might even I myself was thinking like ooh we could uh we could try and get some shots for other people now and then just on a dime he was able to go off like that. And so it's hard for me to definitively say yes this needs to happen because I saw what it resulted in when Yeah. I think I think it's hard to take the the green light away. When yeah, yeah. It's it's simultaneously what's going to kill. I think we've talked about this. I mean, 
it's simultaneously what is going to lose you games and win you games. Mm-hmm. Because when it's working, and it works more often than it doesn't, it's Marquette's best chance to run down a better team. Um, yeah. When it doesn't work, it gives you so much... You get so many empty, demoralizing empty possessions that are optically bad mm-hmm. that it, ruined, it runs you out of games. And he's a good defender, um, but he's also a, you know, a schemable defender mm-hmm. to the point where he, um, you know, when his offensive value is not is non-existent um, in cold stretches, having him on the floor is difficult. Yeah. But, so I, yeah, I mean, I think there has to be a point in Friday's game where the plan changes. Either that or there just has to be some more natural, naturally built-in diversity to the plan, mm-hmm. which would naturally adjust for a, a, a stretch of shooting like this. Yeah, because this, this was an intersection of a game. Like, this doesn't happen that often, but this was a game where both Marcus was cold and the other players were stepping up. And so, right. yeah, I do think there probably needed to be a little bit more awareness of what was happening with specific regard to other players like Sakar, Brendan, and later on Kobe. Totally. But also I think that the, the point to the counterpoint to be made that this hasn't happened enough this season, mm-hmm. that other guys are available to take the load off of Marcus. Um, Against Georgetown, uh, Sakar Anum had a four-minute stretch where Marcus wasn't on the floor that he scored seven points. He yeah. scored 12 points in the whole game, none in the second half, and he was the second-leading scorer on the team while Marcus scored 42, and that was the last road game that they played. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that, where Marcus wins you that game on the road – and that's six days earlier. It's hard to say, okay, no, he's not going to win us this game definitively. Let's do something else. But it's frustrating because of the optics of the kinds of shots he's taking, which look really non-competitive and bad. Yeah, the one towards the end of regulation where he just bricked it, that that was a tough look. Yeah, but I mean, he's doing his thing where he shoots long fadeaway twos, like, which aren't great shots, but 35% of the time they go in for him usually. Mm-hmm. So I think there's difficulty in unilaterally taking away his green light in any circumstance. Mm-hmm. But I think that where this team could improve both short-term and long-term, although, you know, obviously Marcus is graduating, so maybe this isn't an issue going forward. But just the wherewithal to say, hey, maybe Marcus needs to to create instead of shoot wildly, or let's run something different that maybe gets him a different type of look or gets someone else a decent look. 
Yeah, I agree playing, with that. Sakari Animal was playing really well in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. Because, so, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I hate saying that, like I said, that uh, Lojo's adjustments were reason number two that Marquette didn't win. I was... My general point was that Marcus playing poorly was the number one reason why they didn't win. And I hate saying that because the Marcus's overrated crowd then takes that as ammo. And I don't want it to seem like what you're saying, which is that he just needs to stop whenever we say it's time for him to stop. It's just that sometimes he's going to have an off game and he's in this type of leadership and scoring position where that's all on his shoulders. So when he performs poorly, it's just going to be a natural byproduct that he playing poorly is the main reason that they lose is what I'm trying to say from all this. Yeah, I I really think that it's nice to have a good game out of the auxiliary options. Um, and it's nice in the moment to be able to say, let's use that more as they are playing well. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't happened enough. And it's really difficult, especially you know, given the context we talked about with the general perception about Steve Wojciechowski um, decision maker mm-hmm. um, to be able to have in the moment say, say to your player that is totally controls your ceiling as a team to stop shooting or start distributing. It's a difficult, difficult uh, needle to thread and I think, you know, it, I want them to win these games, but but you I, do, yeah. That's surprising. Yeah, I don't. I don't want Marquette to win. Actually, I want I them, them to win. These, I want them to win these games, but I, I I don't want to hold them to some standard of, you know, next level forty chess players while they're while they're playing basketball. Especially in hindsight, when that's not what they are. So, mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, we are resigned to the fact that this team will live and die by Marcus Howard. And I don't think there's a good enough argument to be made to not live and die by Marcus Howard. Yeah, it's great. It's great when uh, it's great when we're living. I'll say that. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and yeah, some of those auxiliary decisions, even still, like on a Marcus bad night. Part of what's frustrating is that those defensive adjustments weren't made. Uh, some of those turnovers were killing us, and just. You got to be able to capitalize on all the little things when something like this is happening. And these little things were very, very fixable. And so I'm way more want to. 
put like the controllable aspect of this loss on uh, some of those adjustments that weren't made. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely room for improvement and there are ways that this can be done better. But I think in general, you're going to have to just kind of swallow this stuff occasionally um, because this is how this team is constructed. Um, and there's no one on the team worth... I mean, Scar Anim was playing great, and Scar Anim has been great. And I I think that that shouldn't be, shouldn't be uh, overlooked, how how good Sakari Adams been. Um, he kind of does this every single year where yeah, he's true. either middling or bad to start the year. And then he just, he just kind of goes on a little bit of a tear, like started with Georgetown and he had a great game against uh, St. John's too earlier this week and uh similar performance uh, on Friday. So it's, it, it might be Sakari's time. Very might be. It very, it very well might be. And, you know, that's a really key thing if they can get him going in the second half of the Big East season um, and can provide more of a natural complement to Marcus um, and maybe take some of the scoring load off. But I think in general, we have to accept the fact that Marcus Howard is going to take this team as high as it's going to go and... There's not a whole lot that can be done about it. Yeah. Um. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do you think it's Do you think it's kind of worth uh, going back on the uh, little more bird's eye view of? Uh, yeah, let's do that. So, I mean, I know you had a point about this, but I think just in general, this team was one and three, and they're now four and four. Um. And it's sort of all in front of them still. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially recent movement in Ken Palm and just various different factors um, around college basketball suggest that this team is nowhere near a critical situation um, on the negative end of things at the moment. Yeah, uh, I was... I keep thinking back about our uh, almost our uh, almost our funeral podcast after the Seton Hall loss, where we were just like, man, we have got a tough road ahead of us and all that. And basically, most of our strategy to, or at least our roadmap to riding the ship was at least going three and one over those next two weeks, and. Again, even like I hate putting too much perspective into the Butler loss because context doesn't necessarily end when the game tips off, but like they came damn close to getting a road win against a top, one of the best teams in the Big East, if not the country. And so there is still a definite path 
to making some real noise in the conference and even the tournament. And that St. John's game was starting to scare the hell out of me, and they really pulled away from them. And they did still play well for 35 minutes of that Butler game. And they are playing a depleted Xavier team and a terrible DePaul team before having a week off to face off Butler again. So, in that broader sense, things are still looking up, I think. Yeah, I I think as long as Marcus Howard isn't significantly impaired by a concussion, um, which I don't think we have any evidence currently, besides the fact that he was bad. um, Did Wojo say anything about that in the postgame presser? I don't remember him saying anything. I didn't see anything, although I can't imagine I actively looked. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, so that's the real concern is, like, if that lingers, then, well, okay, that's unfortunate. Um, to but, say the least. Right. Uh, but if they're just at, you know, the same point that they were at entering the Butler game with the potential for Greg Elliott to come back over the next couple of weeks. Um, I noticed that in the shoot around video at Butler, Elliott was wearing a boot, but not did not have crutches, which was different. And he was okay, that's good. walking around um, as opposed to sort of leaning on the crutch as he'd been doing in a lot of recent warmups. Baby steps. So, so I'm not sure whether the intent is for Elliot to come back at some point, but it seems like he's at least progressing in that direction. So if he's back in two to three weeks and this team is still intact, um, which we can talk about the recent news in that regard in a bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, this seems fine. They're not... That would have been a great win. This team's not going to win the Big East. I think we already established that when they started 1-3. and three. Um, They're probably going to make the tournament. They are going to be a mid-tier seed. And they have a chance to maybe make a run in Madison Square Garden, have some exciting victories going forward. This team is fine overall. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, that's your point is they were yeah. fine at one and three, but at four and four, they seem a lot more fine than originally believed. Yeah. And I would be way more like, I'm really, really upset about that game in and of itself. I'm a <laughs> lot more upset about that game than I would have been had we gotten beat by 10. Yep. But I'm way less worried about future games than I would be if we had lost by 10. Like if we had just kind of had a eight point deficit at the beginning and didn't really make much noise after that, I'd be, it would be expected, but I'd be talking with a little bit more worry about the future of this Big East season. I don't necessarily have that worry right now. Again, Asterisk, if Marcus is healthy. Right. But, 
Yeah, I think they're kind of looking ahead into this week. I still have, even though we thwomped Xavier just a couple weeks ago. Good word. <laughs> thank you. I still have some fear, especially at the Cintas Center, that they can make some noise. And I really hope that this isn't a letdown game, especially going into DePaul. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not even prepared to watch Marquette play DePaul. Um, that, that'll only bring me deep sadness and discon- and uh, consternation. Um, a little pre-plug, I plan on writing the preview for that DePaul game, and I will just be laughing at every single person who thought that they should be ranked when yes. they had beat Texas Tech. I'm very As excited for it. As you should. Um, yeah, that Xavier game is an interesting one. I mean, Marquette destroyed Xavier um, two, uh, a week and a half ago. Um, and so that game will be exactly two weeks from the first game. Um, that'll be a much tougher ask, um, road game again. And, you know, road games have been really difficult, uh, for Marquette this year in the conference. Um, and in general, they lost the Wisconsin game as well. Um, although they did beat Kansas state, who is a team that is not very good. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of worried about, uh, so like Xavier's bread and butter this year, like even though they've been really poor on the offensive end so far this year, their defensive abilities have really stepped up to what their expectations were. And especially with regards to driving teams off the three point line, they do a particularly great job at that. And even though, like, no individual, like, it wasn't like a Marcus go-off king game from three-point line. He was 5 of 14, but the team still shot 38% from the line, or from deep. And so, I kind of uh, worry a little bit, especially given how uh, up and down this team has been this year, that uh, some of those auxiliary players uh, have one of those games where it just feels like they didn't remember anything about what they did from the last game and just go ice cold. And uh, it feels a little trap gamey to me. Yeah, potentially. Um, Paul Scruggs was in foul trouble in the first game, I believe. And... Yeah, he was. He ended up with four fouls in that game. It's a lot of the first half, if I remember right. Yep, that's right. He got two fouls pretty early, and I think he got a third foul early in the second half. Yep. Could be something to watch, as he is oftentimes their best player. Um, although not always. Uh, yeah, they play good defense, so um, figure out what works. I, You know... I think they might be in for some regression to the mean as far as the way that the first game just went completely Marquette's way. Yeah. That would be my only real thought because, I don't know, just go 
go do it again, right? Like, mm-hmm. Theo had a really good game against, um, not really, I guess against Tyreek Jones, geez. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, just run it back, do it again. Um, yeah. If you remember uh, last year's game, that was uh, the infamous Matt Helt game where uh, he didn't play for much time, but Theo and Ed both were in their inexplicable foul trouble. And so uh, our beloved Milkman had to uh, enter in that game late and he got the clutchest offensive rebound that I've ever seen and an immediate kick out to Sam Hauser for the three that would eventually uh, put Marquette ahead up for good. And I think that was actually a year ago today, a year ago Sunday for those listening later on in the week. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was one of the better games, uh, not better games in terms of Marquette being played, but better in terms of uh, me feeling happy afterwards, which is honestly how all games should be judged. For sure. Um, so this is kind of random um but there's a chance that kobe bryant just died in a helicopter crash what um that's what's happening on twitter right now wait which is um wow what uh it's it's like sl- slowly leaking out a bit. Um, I'm seeing it too. What? Which is insane. Uh, yeah, because TMZ just reported it. So TMZ like hardly ever gets this stuff. Wow. Yeah. Um. So. Wow. Okay. Um. That's kind of insane, man. How do we move on from that? (laughs) Ah, yeah. We were coming to the end here, and I was ready to wrap it up. But, man, uh, that's – jeez. That's really awful. Holy crap. I was was about to get on a nice little uh, don't lose to DePaul rant, but – I mean, don't lose to DePaul. Yeah, don't lose to DePaul, but also uh, some real somber stuff right now. Dude, I like it. It seems so. It's like Roy Halladay a couple years ago. Yeah, but I mean, this is like. Oh, yeah, obviously not completely like. Yeah, obviously. But in terms of surprising, it's just like put on you. This this feels impossible. Jeez, man. All right. Well, <laughs> I, 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 this has completely derailed me here. Don't <laughs> lose to DePaul. And gosh, if Kobe Bryant really died, that's like, holy crap. RIP. I don't even know. Ow. Yeah, TMZ just tweeted it out. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, that's what's ever, that's what everyone's seizing on. It seems like there needs to be a little bit more than that, but maybe like, but maybe not. 
Like, jeez. We'll we'll follow up on this uh, firsthand reporting. Oh which my is god! Us looking at Twitter. This is insane. Oh, gosh. Well, I think we could wrap it up there on that. I on. think so. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, that's a, I literally that's a good of a spot as I need to end on. I just sent that tweet about Dexter Acano saying that like his influences in life are his mom and Kobe Bryant. Oh yeah, that was a great tweet. First off, first off, and second off, the NASCAR shirt just yeah, screams. I grew up in the mid aughts. Dexter Acano, an icon for sure. Um, wow. Oh my goodness. Um. Wow. Okay, that's really, jeez. All right, well, let's wrap it here. Um, yeah, a, a good after a good five minutes of us repeating the word just, wow and what. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, all right. Uh, everyone, uh, be safe out there. Don't ride in helicopters that might crash. And don't lose to DePaul. And don't lose to DePaul.